as I was thinking about what we uh, were going to talk about, we had talked through the sermon series, Your Call, Three Choices That Will Radically Change Your Life. Um, that's the tagline that we came up with, which is, I guess, clever. Um, on Easter, we talked about the idea that we have to be built on a foundation that is Christ, that if and when uh, difficult moments happen in our lives, if we don't have the foundation of Christ in our lives, then our, our life gets swept away like someone who built their house on sand. And if we build our lives on Christ, then we have a strong foundation that allows us to uh, withstand the storms that come in life, right? Then last week, uh, we talked about uh, a different uh, kind of, uh, a different kind of, so the first week it was choosing Christ and not ourselves, right? It's choosing to be selfless and not uh, selfish, right? So last week we talked about, um, I'm drawing a blank, man. Somebody remind me what we talked about. You know, we had no recording of it this week, too. Something, yes, living a life of mission, thank you very much. Choosing a life of purpose, not a, a life of, mean, of meaningless, but a life of meaning. Wow, that was great. Thank you for that. And then this week we're... Uh, finishing up with the last choice. And I think this actually might be the hardest one uh, to do because I think sometimes we can get ourselves to a place where we're like, okay, I've accepted Christ. I'm going to move forward in my faith here. And we get to a place where we're like, okay, I, I like the idea of mission. I want to make a difference in the world. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to go out and do what Christ has called me to do. I want to I try that. I can be bold in certain situations, especially ones where, you know, like um, I'm not, don't know the people and I can kind of share Christ with different people and see how that goes. Uh, today it's a little bit more uh, intense. So today we're going to talk about choosing community and not isolation. And I think this can actually be harder for a lot of people because when you choose community, you sort of open yourself up to other people. And it can sometimes go amazingly well, but we've all had experiences where it didn't go so well. And as we've been building this church, I think a lot of people have been coming here giving church another try I've heard the stories of, hey, I went to this place and it didn't work out well for me, or hey, uh, I tried this out and it wasn't something that, uh, you know, it ended well, or hey, I've done a small group before and it was kind of a nightmare, or I went to this church and it just wasn't a thing. And I think a lot of us have stories about how we've kind of recovered from something that's happened in our world or in our church experience, and we're not sure we want to try it again. We tried it once. It didn't seem to work. I'm not sure I want to put myself out there. I'm not sure I want to give what's going on in my life to other people. I don't know if it's going to come back to me in the way that I hope it will. And I think what I want you to understand is that we're trying to build something here where it will come back in the way that you hope it will, and that we desire that, and we're hoping for that. Um, and I think Jesus uh, changes the game pretty drastically, uh, and we kind of sometimes take it for granted. Uh, sometimes I think we've gotten to a place where we think that um, that, you know, it's, we have this concept of what religion looks like, of what Christianity looks like, where we accept Jesus, and then we're supposed to love one another. And I want you to know that Jesus brought that concept of bringing the others into your relationship. He brought that into existence, right? He changed the game. So before Jesus came, religion, when it looked like worshiping God, was a lot of rules and a lot of ritual. And it was like, you have to do all these hundreds of things to make sure that you are religiously pure so that way you can make God happy. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, all those rules are good. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them. Okay, so I'm not going to necessarily be against what's happening. 
uh, here, but I want you to understand, I'm going to simplify this to a couple few things to make sure that everybody understands it, to make sure that it's at a place where everybody can understand and, and grab hold of their faith. And so he brings it to a place where he says, okay, this is about, if you're going to ask me to sum up all the stuff that you should do as a religious person, it should be love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he starts kind of that concept. And then before he goes to the cross, he gets his disciples together and he gives them a command, which is new and different and even more intense. And he basically says, I want you to understand that the way you treat each other is going to be incredibly important when it comes to pleasing God. That it's not just about you pleasing God personally on your own, but it's about you wanting to serve God, and you also loving and serving the people who are around you. And sometimes we read this the wrong way, okay? So this is in John chapter 13, 34 and 35. This is what Jesus says. This is the last night he's with his disciples, and he, he's uh, basically breaking bread with them and having a meal, and he's kind of sharing some of the stuff that's going to be coming down the pipe. He's trying to help them understand what's going to happen, and they don't get it yet. But this is what he says to them. He says, a new command I give you that I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And use that phrase, one another, multiple times. Now, this phrase, we often read this and we think, the way the world will know that you're a believer in Christ is if you love everybody who's in the world. That's the way that we, we read this sometimes. Like a Christian should love everybody outside of the church in a way that shows them who Jesus is. And in fact, when we really look at this verse, what we actually see is that Jesus is telling them that the way that the world will know that they're believers is actually by the way that they love one another in the room. That the way that you respond to other believers, the way that there's love built in your church is like a beacon of light in a world where people are looking for a real connection. That in fact, the way that you treat one another will have a huge impact on your religion, or on how you serve God. And so he kind of takes it to a whole nother level or a whole nother dimension that I don't think people were necessarily thinking about. I think we've all been in churches where we saw love on display between the people who are part of the church. And I think we've all been in churches where we saw, <coughs> excuse me, the exact opposite of that on display for everyone to see. Christ has called us to love one another in a way that shows his light to the world. And it's not necessarily just about loving the people outside. It's about creating it in the church that draws people into what's happening because this is what we are looking for. This is what we're created for. And so Galatians chapter 6, this is Paul talking about sort of the similar concept. And this is what I hope we can build in our church. So this is what Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the Spirit should restore that person <clears throat> gently. So he, he starts by saying, if someone is caught in a sin, and uh, by the way, he's not talking about the pursuit detective company where we're out trying to find people in sin. That word caught is not about catching someone. It's actually about uh, the concept of being ensnared in a trap. Right? So this word caught, it's not like we get our, out our little hobby detective notebooks and we watch everybody's moves and we try to catch them in the bad things that they're doing, okay? Which I think sometimes we've had that experience before. This is saying that when we are in relationship with one another and we find somebody trapped in their sin, caught in their sin, then it's our responsibility 
the people who live by the Spirit, to restore that person gently. So Paul says what should mark your church is restoration. That in fact, whatever you're dealing with, you bring it into this place, and there are people here who live by the Spirit who will restore you gently. They won't be taking notes to judge you. In fact, we'll be coming at it with the perspective of that all of us are carrying something in, and all of us are dealing with things in our lives that we need restoration for. Right? Jesus challenged us to not be seeing the sin in everyone else's life, but to be really focused on the sin that's going on in our lives. And Paul is saying, when we see somebody struggling, right, we should take note of that, not judge them, but come alongside of them gently and restore them to what it looks like to be back to uh, or to be free from being ensnared in that sin. This language is actually throughout Scripture, right? In Hebrews, it says, uh, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, that snares us, that catches us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Right? Paul says in Second uh, Timothy, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. They paint this picture that there's this idea that we're captives, that we're ensnared, that we're stuck in the, the rhythms that we have and in the sin that's in our lives. And then we find a community of people who come alongside us and they restore us gently. That in fact, there isn't judgment, there isn't uh, shame or guilt that in fact, we are looking at all of our stuff. Everyone's aware of what's going on in their own lives, but we're restoring each other gently. I think a lot of times, if you have people in your life who challenge you, the first thing you want to do is be defensive, right? So somebody's like, hey, you should probably stop doing that. You're like, well, you should probably stop doing this, 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 and this, right? I don't know if you've felt that way before. First of all, if someone challenges you, be thankful that you have somebody bold enough in your life to come and say, hey, I don't like the patterns I see in your life, and I want to see you go beyond where you're at right now. And to listen to what they have to say and to allow them to gently uh, restore you. Now, you could have conversations later on about the stuff that you see in their lives. It's not necessarily good to repay it, but Paul is saying we should all be doing this for each other. That in fact, we know that we're all imperfect. We know that we're all struggling. We know we all bring baggage into the relationships. And yet we want to build community where we can challenge each other, where we can see the best happen in each other's lives, where we can restore one another gently. And I think the difference between someone who's judging you and, uh, and sort of challenging you in the wrong ways and someone who uh, wants to see you succeed and is challenging you in the right ways is intent. I, I want this to be the kind of church where we say, like, I want the best for you. My goal is for you to be successful in your relationship with God and other people. And this is holding you back. This needs to go. Here's what Jesus would tell you about what's going on in your life right now. I'm going to speak for Christ in this relationship. And I'm going to push you just a little bit gently towards what it looks like to follow Christ in the right way. And I want you to be free from what's going on in your life. I think ultimately, if this was a place where people were restored and freedom was happening in people's lives, that it would make an incredibly huge impact in our world. That's what it looks like to be in biblical community where we are restoring each other gently. Um, 
I've had this happen to me as a pastor. <laughs> a couple years ago, I, uh, I was not in a great spot. Uh, we had just had our second kid. So if you uh, have had children, the first one's kind of a breeze uh, because no matter how bad they are, you just sleep when the baby sleeps, right? So even if you're getting two hours at a time and it's just awful, you're still getting enough sleep to get by. Well, we got ourselves to a place where we had our second baby, which was uh, my beautiful daughter, Macy. And she had uh, acid reflux, which we didn't understand what was going on with her at the time. And so essentially, we would lay her down, and she would go off to sleep for about 45 minutes. And then she'd just wake up screaming. And after about six months of this, where neither of us got any sleep for six months, and after uh, I would say I was kind of in a place where the lack of sleep, the intensity of life, things were kind of piling up for me, and maybe even a little bit of depression was kind of sneaking into my, my, uh, my life, I found myself in a place where I basically was not in control of my mouth at all. Like things were coming out of me that would have made me now, would have made me blush, right? Things were coming out of me in anger. Things were coming out of me in uh, vulgarity. Things were coming out of me in uh, cynicism that was adding up to a place where I did not want to be living. And at that time, I had not only, I had two different groups of people sit me down and have a conversation with me about, hey man, what's going on with you? You're messed up right now. It's the stuff that's coming out of you is wrong. And it's not what God would want in your life. And hey, the way that you just reacted in that situation where you totally bit that person's head off and just lost your cool, that's not okay. What's going on with you? And I had a, two people sit me down and have that conversation, and I kind of like was like, whatever, don't care what you have to say. And then another person had the, sat me down and had that conversation, and it was after two times that I finally started to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, man, my life is completely out of control right now. Like, it was fraying and coming apart at the seams. And what I want you to know is that when you find yourself in situations where you're dealing with a really deep, dark depression, or you're really way outside of who you are and, you know, who you feel like you should be, or where you're out of control in certain sin areas, like, like for me, it was my mouth, but maybe it's, you know, looking at stuff you're not supposed to, doing things you're not supposed to, acting a way that you don't want to act. When you find yourself in those situations, the way to dig out of those holes is to, yes, run to Jesus, but also to lean into community. Like there are people who want the best for you in your life and they'll push you towards the place that you know you need to go, but you know that if someone doesn't push you, you won't go there. And I think a lot of times we find ourselves walking away from community and away from the church. We would much rather log in and watch something for an hour and then close the laptop and go about our week without letting it change us than to actually take the risk of being in community with people and having them push us towards Christ in a way that changes us on a regular basis. It's hard. You have to choose it intentionally. It won't happen by accident. And in fact, I would say most of our world is running in the opposite direction of community. This is why it's so important to be part of a church and part of a church where people know you, part of a church where you have people. I want you to, to just close your eyes for a second and think about it. If something terrible happens in your life this week, what people do you have in your world who you call in that moment to pray for you? If you find yourself falling off 
and doing something terrible or, uh, you know, in a, in a rut where you can't get out of a pattern of sin in your life, who do you call? Because the church is designed, it's meant to be a community of people that lead us towards Jesus and challenge us to keep walking towards what God has called us to do. And so we restore each other gently. It's about restoration. It's about, not about judgment. It's about coming alongside, seeing a better future, and calling the people around you to go for that. That's what it looks like to be in biblical community. But you have to choose it. You, it won't happen by accident. He goes on, he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So there's a spectrum that happens here when it comes to uh, community where you kind of have this uh, light, I like to use the word, it's an old school religious word, licentious living, licentious living. Anyone who's uh, opened up a King James version, basically giving people license to live however they want, allowing them to do Whatever it is that comes into their head, whatever makes them feel good, just allow them to go ahead and do it. But I'm still going to just love you no matter what's going on. I'm gonna, hey, I'm going to give you ultimate amount of grace. You go ahead and live however you want. I give you license to do that. Uh, but then I'm going to go ahead and love you. at that. All the way to the other end of the spectrum where people are uh, in uh, like a, a religious cage, right? So they're basically saying, hey, you will jump through all of these hoops or I will reject you. There's a spectrum between these two things where we have ultimate amount of mercy and grace where we're not challenging each other at all. And then all the way over here where essentially all we care about is behavior. That as Christians, we're called to fall somewhere in the middle of that to have an incredible amount of grace for people, but to be challenging them in the truth. You know, in John chapter one, it says Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Every encounter that he has with people, he gives them the grace that they need in that moment, but then tells them the truth, okay? In our relationships, it should look like that. And he says, watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Watch yourself or you might find yourself over here as the behavior police trying to religiously call everyone's fouls, right? Trying to get everyone to do what you want them to do and to control them. So you need to do this in a sense, with a sense of humility, so he goes on, verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And we go back to what Jesus said when he said, a new command I give you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. That essentially, you would love one another in the same way as Christ, which means you would lay your life down for the people around you. That's what true biblical community looks like, that Jesus has called us to, to prefer other people over ourselves, to put them first. Um, I don't know if uh, I really understood this concept until I became a parent. Uh, essentially, for 30 years of my life, I served myself or my marriage, right? Uh, and it was pretty easy to kind of make that myself in most cases. And then this little bundle of humanity came out and it screamed when it wanted to and demanded things from you. And all of a sudden, you find yourself putting yourself aside all the time to take care of this thing that you've been given by God. And you learn what selflessness looks like. Um, I think the sooner we realize that we are called to selflessness, to respond to each person in the way that Christ has responded to us, the quicker our community grows and looks like Jesus. 
that this is what it looks like. And I want you to know as you learn to do this, you learn to do it in a church with people around you who you want to, to drag forward in their relationship. You want to call them to something. But then you start to, to put this into practice at your work and in your family and in your neighborhood. And before long, you find yourself living like Jesus in a world that needs to see this on, on display. Verse 3, he says, if anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. He says, the key to living like Christ is to not take yourself so seriously, to be living in humility and to see your own faults before you see others. Verse 4, each one should test their own actions so they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the world would share all good things with their instructor. And so Paul paints this picture of community where we're basically coming alongside and carrying each other's burdens, that we're aware of the things going on in our lives. We're not letting that stop the conversation about improving the other people around us, that we're leaning into allowing other people into our lives. And I know, I know, I know it's terrifying because we feel like we might be rejected or judged or we feel like as soon as these people figure out what's really happening in my life, then I'm going to be on the outside, not on the inside. I want you to know this is the kind of church where no matter what you bring in with you, you're on the inside. This is the kind of place where no matter what is going on in your life, we want the best for you. This is the kind of place that no matter what you're struggling with, there are people here to help you get out of the snare and to begin this relationship with Jesus and it's the most beautiful thing ever. It's totally worth it. But it's really, really hard. And unless we choose community, it will not naturally happen. When we talk about being uh, for community and for the community, this is what we're talking about. So I'm inviting you in. We have places to serve where you'll be in relationships with other people. We have small groups where we can get you connected uh, stick around and have food. Sit down and have a meal with somebody. Invite somebody out to coffee and actually talk about something that's not surface level for once. Like, take some steps to try out community because one of the best things about being uh, a church our size and in the position that we're in is that right now every person who walks in our doors can be known and every person can find someone to challenge them and they can challenge someone else and that is what community looks like in our midst. So I'm asking that you choose it. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then I got some other instructions for you. Jesus, would you help us to see that uh, community is a choice, that it's the best thing for us, even though it's hard to choose? I pray that this would be the kind of place where we love people when they show up here, that we receive them with whatever they carry in, but that we also challenge them to move forward in their faith. God, I pray that this would be a beautiful picture of what community looks like, that we'd have depth in our small groups, that we'd have people serving side by side, getting to know one another, that we'd have men and women and children and teenagers and uh, every person that walks in would find somebody to be in relationship with. God, that we'd hang out after church with people until we have to leave. 
pray that this would be the kind of landing spot for people who have walked away from church, who don't want to trust God, that they would find a new opportunity to do that, and that it would be something that brings them life and grows them in their faith. We thank you for what you're doing in our community, and we pray that you just continue to bring people in here who need to be connected. In Jesus' name, amen.